0: Hello, the Scouted Football podcast here with another hour-long instalment of youth football from around the world. Uh, We've got lots to talk about today, including a special guest whose expertise uh, has somewhat of a Scandinavian swing to it. Um, First of all, from all of us at Scouted, uh, we hope you're all keeping safe and well from within your homes and and wherever you're listening to us from. Um, Hopefully cabin fever hasn't begun to set in, but if it has, uh, we've got some Norwegian knowledge to try and make you forget about all of that for the next hour or so. Uh, by the way of introduction, I'm Joe Donoghue, uh, podcast host and, and deep line midfielder, tying everything together, starting moves and, and asking questions. Uh, today's guest is Ben Wells, a football journalist who is the authority on Norwegian players and, and Norwegian football. Um, now, if you're not as familiar with that as you'd like, then make sure you check out uh, Ben's podcast, Reverse Nisalu, um, whose name I haven't butchered, hopefully, uh, for a range of interviews with Norwegian players, past and present. Uh, as well as being pretty much kept up to date with everything going on there. Um, Ben, first off, I hope you're well and and, and welcome. Uh, My first question is is going to shape how we're going to get on, really. Uh, It is, with no limitations, no restrictions, if you were going to play in any position on the pitch, where would it be and and why? Hi,
1: mate. Yeah, thanks for having me on. And, um, yeah, not too bad with the pronunciation of the podcast there. So, yeah, not too bad there. Um, In terms of position... um, I actually played goalkeeper in six-a-side. Um, never used to, but lack of fitness has sort of meant that I've had to sort of drop back into goal in my in my later years. But originally uh, started as a left back, and yeah, I like to think of myself as a sort of a dynamic left wing back, bombing up, bombing up and down the wings. But I think in reality, probably more of a, a defensive
0: left back. A defensive left back nowadays, yeah. I I like to to think I was sort of that modern day fullback back in the heyday, but not anymore, unfortunately. Um, you, you've been covering Norwegian football for for quite a while now. Uh, for anyone who hasn't heard of the podcast or hasn't heard of you or hasn't followed you on Twitter, um, in that time you'd have seen some big names come and go. Do you have any any in particular?
1: Yeah, so it's been about five years actually um, covering the top two Norwegian divisions. Um, started off on OBOS, which is the second tier. Um, now on Elites they're in for the last two years um, yeah there's been a few big names there we've had obviously Nicholas Bentner has come and gone um, as he does uh, I've had Nigel Rio Coca for about a month at one of my Obosley game teams a while ago and uh, last year Carl Lafferty as well so yeah I guess all the all the big names all the former big names of British football there um, but yeah in terms of actual talent obviously you've seen Erling Haaland develop and then leave. Um Odegaard was a bit before my time, but yeah, I still sort of saw his his latter years at the Strums God So yeah, it's been a pretty good period to be covering Norwegian
0: football. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, you you've probably got some quite cool stories from from the individuals who've played there. Um, the Nigel Real Coca one's not one that I anticipated, but Kyle Lafty, I am not as surprised as, as you might be because he it seems like he's been pretty much everywhere, hasn't he? He's been to Turkey and, and whatnot. Um, just on that topic of cool stories, I mean, you've probably got a few from being enveloped in in Norwegian football during the time that you've been following it. Uh, what, sort of, if if any, you've got an under twenty three swing to it. Are there any that stick out in your mind?
1: Yeah, so the main one's obviously Erling Haaland. Um, I watched his debut at 15 years old for Brina in the Obosler game. And um, yeah, he was just like this tall, lanky kid, like very gangly, very strange looking on the pitch, to be honest. And he was playing left wing at that time as well. Um, And Brina are sort of quite well-renowned for developing young players. He was was thrown in age 15. They were in a relegation scrap. Um, So it was a big call from the manager at the time. But yeah, to see his debut, I mean, if you're watching his debut and that was it you probably wouldn't think he'd get anywhere to be honest in football because he just he didn't look ready but I then saw, I kept covered the Elite Serien a couple of years later For um, I was covering Mulder and Harlem was just completely different this you know this huge lad now he's he had pace he, he's a brilliant finisher and yeah I'll always remember him scoring a hat-trick inside about five to ten minutes against Bran which was sort of his coming of age in the Elite Serien I guess
0: Yeah, I can presume that he probably seemed quite uncoordinated and and gangly and and, and everything like that, because he is quite a strange looking player as it is anyway, with just limbs and his wingspan being so huge anyway. Obviously, he is the current Norwegian player that most will be familiar with today. Um, recency bias and all that. Who, obviously, as you as you mentioned, began his career playing for Brina and Mulder. Um, again, you'll have to correct me on pronunciations throughout this pod. Um, You've you obviously seen him in his in his teenage years, as you, as you mentioned. But aside from sort of his his debut and also his best performances, you know, at 16 and 17, what was he what was he like week in week out before that before that Salzburg move? He just developed
1: so fast, um, like I said, age sort of 15, 16 in the tier below he didn't look all that he, like all the reports were that he was very good his coaches were saying that you know he could make it but it wasn't really translated on a pitch he didn't actually score a league goal for greener um so yeah it wasn't until he, he went to molder and went through his sort of insane growth, but that he became a player that you can sort of see now and started to really develop his skills so yeah he sort of gained this extra yard of pace um he started to use his physique to sort of bully defenders and yeah his finishing just really set him apart like if he got if he got a chance it, it was in um so yes yeah, so i watched him develop 16 17 18 years old it was just a completely different player to the one who was i first saw basically um and it was yeah it was surprising but at the same time judging by what his coach has said throughout his career It was to be expected, I guess, at some stage. So, yeah, very interesting one to follow.
0: Another young player who I'm quite confident uh, to say that will have a long career in the national team alongside uh, Erling Haaland um, is Martin Odegaard, um, who, as you mentioned previously, began his professional career at Stromsgood set um, before obviously being picked up by Real Madrid. Um, Just overall, what are your your thoughts on on Odegaard as a player and sort of the route that he's taken, which has been quite, obviously, quite an unconventional one?
1: Uh, yeah, I think he's a sensational player, to be honest. Um, technically, probably the best player Norway, Norway have ever produced um, in terms of like an attacking midfielder. Um, yeah, the route, the route he's taken, obviously, a lot of people sort of frowned upon it, I guess. And there's been a lot of chat the last sort of three years about Odegaard being sort of yet another wonder kid who eventually won't make it. Um, yeah, a lot of people sort of thought that moving to Heron, Vane on loan and Betessa it was a bit of a strange move but I think in all honesty it was the best move for him Um, I don't think moving to Madrid was a great choice at the start of his career I think there's obviously better clubs about to develop talent but in terms of the loan spells he's chosen he's he's gone from Heron to Potessa and become player of the year there and and obviously now at Sostadad where he's absolutely smashing it in the league Um, so I think it's worked out okay in the end the route might have been a bit strange um, to some people I guess um, and yeah like I said I, I still think the Madrid move wasn't wasn't the best move for him at that stage but yeah it seems like it's benefiting him now um, sort of tr- having trained with those talents at Madrid
0: Yeah to me it seemed like he he stepped up from season on season going from obviously as you mentioned like here in Vane and Vitesse and, and now Sociedad he's, he seems to have sort of gone up an in increment in in the calibre of players that he'll have been playing with which I suppose is, given how young he is and given how young he was when he joined Real Madrid, the, the teams that he's played for have probably been at his level, maybe a little bit below his station um, for the time that he was there. So he's he's developed and progressed at a, at a steady rate instead of going too high too fast. But in general, to have to have two key Norwegian players at Borussia Dortmund and, and Real Madrid, um, assuming that Odegaard will start for Real next season, um, given how good he has been this year, um I suppose that's pretty cool for a nation of Norway's population size because you know Scotland for example uh, has a very similar population and and you know doesn't exactly have the same sort of success in individual players what sort of factors would you put that down to domestically for for sort of the the success so far of of Haaland and, and and Odegaard
1: I think with with Holland and Odegaard it comes down to sort of just raw determination a lot of it um if you sort of look into their characters off the field or, or sort of how they are as people, they're just absolutely football obsessed, um, you know, follow the game, they, they live the game every day, um, training like to their limits all the time, um, just constantly pushing themselves to sort of be better players. And I think that's probably the biggest reason why they've become so good so fast, in a way. Um, there's not been anything sort of in particular that Norway have done in recent years to, to sort of promote this young talent, I mean, obviously being able to play at a top level, like the elites they're in at such an early age is a benefit to them. Um, And sort of having those league games under their belt when they're still 18, 19, or even 17 years old is obviously a huge bonus um, to get that sort of first team exposure. So I think that obviously plays a massive part. Um, But I think in general, just for sort of the mentality in Norway, when it comes to football with the younger players. They're all just so determined to make it. They're all determined to just be the best they can be, and yeah, that's obviously a big factor in their development, how they, or where they end up playing.
0: We'll come back to the benefit of uh, first team exposure in a little while, but um, in a different era, someone like Christopher Eyer might have been sort of the poster boy for for Norwegian football. You know, standing at nearly two meters tall, um, he's a great progressive passer, um, high volume dueler, and, and sort of another shoe in for years to come in the national team. He's of course one of Celtic's centre-backs at present, um, but playing at the best team in Scotland in one of Europe's least competitive leagues, Do, does he need to go somewhere else really to challenge himself and to, to sort of set himself apart as, as a as a really top-level player? Yeah, I think he's
1: coming to that stage now where he does need that big move um, to an extent. He's obviously, I mean, like you said, he's so good in the air, he's so good at progressing the play from defence, he's just... A very strange centre back in a way, very modern centre back, um, and that sort of comes from he used to play in attacking midfield for a start when he was a teenager in the elite seren. Yeah, he used to get a lot of goals. I think he scored double figures in one of his elite seren campaigns actually. Um, So yeah, not the most well, not the most, uh, not the most, not not a classic centre back. A very modern centre-back, and yeah, he's obviously been doing doing well at Celtic. Uh, he tends to have his ups and downs there. I know, like, there's still a lot of people who aren't completely convinced about him in Scotland. But from what I've seen, I think he's got the potential to become a very good centre-back and sort of follow career paths other players who have been at Celtic and then moved to a Premier League, for example. I mean, obviously Van Dyke's the main example, moving to Southampton and then obviously Liverpool. Um, not saying I is going to be as good as van dyke but i mean in an ideal world he would be but i do think that he's at a level now where he can probably challenge to get him a starting 11 of you know a sort of bottom half premier league table um side at least so yeah it'll be interesting to see where where he ends up because i reckon in the next couple of seasons he'll definitely be on the
0: move that is sort of the assumption that that most people would make, and especially when players get to a certain level, uh, when they play for you know Celtic and Rangers, um, you know your Alfredo Morelos, your Odson Edwards, you know even sort of the, the likes of Stefan Johansson in years gone by, you know when they've got to that point, the the speculation starts to surround them that you know it's it's probably time to move to 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 a different league, um, you know your Musa Dembele's, I mean the list goes on. I could I could be here all day, um, but just going back to going back to Ayer. What did you like about Ayers' game when he was in, in the Elite Syrian, um, when he played for Star? And also, what, I suppose, what do you like about it now that he's sort of diversified and changed and, and gone to a centre-back?
1: Yeah, he's a very sort of strange example of a centre-back, like I mentioned, because of his his path, his career history. Um, when I was watching him in Norway, he was this, obviously, a very tall kid, very lanky, similar to Holland when he first started. Um, but he got up and down the pitch very fast and was a mainly sort of used as like a box to box midfielder but yeah, ended up scoring a lot of goals for the start when he was in their team. And yeah, the the dynamism in, in his game and um just the ability to sort of bully players off the ball, even when he was a young lad, was yeah, you know, it was brilliant to watch and I think that sort of played into his development as a centre back as well now. Um, if you had told me that he would eventually become a centre back, I would have probably laughed sort of four or five years ago. But um clearly he's got what it takes to play there i think it was brendan rogers who first started playing in there when he moved to celtic and yeah because of that sort of unique skill set he's gained from playing in midfield or like an attacking midfield role previously he's got this sort of very diverse capability to play set back he's got the aerial ability because of his height he's got the strength but he's also got the ability to run out with a ball he's got the passing ability so yeah it makes him quite an interesting prospect i think for any potential bar in the
0: future. Uh, Just moving a a little bit closer to home for you and I, um, and to the Premier League, Um, there are four Norwegians currently in in the Premier League, uh, Oyen Nyland, uh, Alex Teti, Josh King uh, and Sander Berg. Uh, Unsurprisingly, it's the latter of of that four um, who I'd like to talk about, uh, Sander Berg. Um, It seems like he's, he's taken to life at Sheffield United quite well so far, and and, and likewise, the, the club have taken to him. Did you? I mean, did you foresee Berg getting sort of a, a Premier League move? Did you think he'd settle in quite well based on sort of his demeanor or character or, or his or his previous experience? What What did you think of him?
1: Yeah, I think he's um, very well matched to a Premier League, and I'm not surprised he ends up there. To be honest, um, yeah, he's obviously like sort of the traditional sort of defensive midfielder, um, ball winning midfielder in that role, and yeah, I think Sheffield United is a, a good fit for him. Um, the only issue I had with him with the move was that there's a lot of competition in that role. You've obviously got uh, John Dunström who was doing well at the start of the year, and um, Oliver Norwood, who plays in a deeper role for Sheffield United as well. So, quite stiff competition for a team doing very well defensively this year. So, I think it will take him a little bit of time to adapt and to sort of um, make his mark on the team, but yeah, I've got no doubt he's more than good enough for a level I mean think back a couple of years he's been linked to Spurs and Sevilla constantly when he was at Genk Um, and yeah he was was another one who sort of in a way came out of nowhere just sort of appeared on the scene for Valerenga as a teenager and just immediately looked looked the real deal Um, was bossing games from an early age and yeah it wasn't long before he got his big move obviously so yeah it'll be interesting to see how he adapts further in the future I think it'll probably take a little bit of time and in a way, I think this break, obviously due to the coronavirus, probably hasn't helped him because he probably needed some more, some more minutes in the first team. So, yeah, it'll be an interesting one to follow. Um, but I think next year, whenever, well, whenever next season does eventually happen, I think that'll be the year we'll see him sort of finally grow into the role and show everyone what he's capable of.
0: Yeah, it did seem as though he was just about getting up to speed at Sheffield United. You know, with a handful of Premier League games under his belt, and obviously now all of this had had, had happened. Um, I suppose he, he's not a stranger to things beyond his control stalling his progress, because when he was at Genki, suffered a, a bit of a, a bit of an injury, um, which you know probably put a stop to all that speculation of the likes of Spurs and Severe. You know, he's he's probably accustomed to, to having you know being put on hiatus so to speak but do you think that his progress as a player has been has been stalled at all by, by that injury he suffered at Genk or do you think that you know he's he still only just turned 22 so he is he's still very young in football in terms do you think that that injury and the move to the subsequent move to Sheffield United is possibly a blessing in disguise because you know he's probably going to play quite a lot of football in in the coming season and seasons as, as you alluded to?
1: Yeah, I think as you mentioned, like the injuries is obviously gonna stall any player that age and he had sort of a few injury issues sort of piled up um a year or so ago. And whilst I don't, I don't think it stalled his progression as a player, I think he's still constantly improving. I mean, he was clearly the best player in that gang squad, um, before he left to join Sheffield United. Um, I think obviously the injury did put a few clubs off signing him and Obviously, that's worked to Sheffield United's benefit because I don't think two years ago. I mean, obviously, very Championship side, but at that point, but I don't think two years ago a team in Sheffield United's current position would be able to sign him because yeah, you know, he was being touted as the next big thing in like the next big defensive midfielder, and when you've got teams like Spurs and Sevilla tracking you, yeah, it's going to be tough to sort of get that move to Sheffield. But um, but yeah, like you said as well, it's. It obviously works out well because he will get more minutes at Sheffield United. He will be a key player for them eventually. I've got no doubt about that. And I think the issue with any any move to a bigger side obviously would have been that he would have been eased in more. Um, he wouldn't have got those immediate first team minutes. And at this stage of his career, especially with his international career really starting to kick on now as well, he needs those first team minutes. He needs to be a key player in the team just to really progress and yeah, become a player, we all
0: know he can be. Yeah, I suppose with being at Sheffield United as well, it's it's he's out of the spotlight a little bit more than than he would be at a Spurs or Sevilla. Um I mean we only need to look at the Tanguy and Dumbele uh, problem that Spurs have got at the moment with, you know, the fact that he has been probably one of their best uh, defensive midfielders, you know, in terms of progressive ball carrying and progressive passing. But He's been hung out to dry by Jose Mourinho and and everybody thinks that, you know, he's this lazy player when he, when he isn't in actual fact. Um, so I think that's another aspect of the Sheffield United move that, that will benefit Sanderberg. Um, so I, I suppose, yeah, Berg is 22. Uh, Haaland is 19, unbelievably. Uh, Odegaard and Ayer are both 21. I mean, that's a pretty decent spine for the next decade for the Norwegian national team, isn't it? I mean, all of, all of them, aside from Odegaard, have, have played regularly. In, in Norway's top flight as teenagers uh, before going on to Pastures New. Um, is this is this something about the league in particular which makes it conducive to producing players of a high standard or or is it more to do with, as you alluded to before, the, the regular game time at a competitive level being so, so valuable? Because, you know, we speak about that a lot on this podcast.
1: Yeah, 100%. I mean, regular game time is obviously... Well, probably the most key factor to their development, you know, playing against, especially in Norway, players, you know, a lot of the time who will be twice their age, twice the amount of um, first-team appearances, it's a baptism of fire of sorts, and it, it, it allows them to adapt to the level much faster than if they were just given a handful of minutes here and a handful of minutes there. You sort of look at, like, Phil Foden at Man City, who I'm sure you've covered a lot on the podcast or on Scouted Football, and... Yeah, he sort of drip-fed first team minutes to an extent, and you could say that's halting his development. Whereas if he was playing for a lower, a lower level team constantly, then his level could improve quicker. And I think that's the case for a lot of Norwegian players. And I hate to sort of self-promote my podcast already, but like we've spoken to a lot of young lads on that podcast um, who have who are just sort of breaking through in Norway um, and in the under twenty one team, and they all say the same thing, but yeah it's the first team experience that's got them to this level it's the determination that i sort of alluded to earlier um the determination to succeed and make a career out of football um obviously a very key factor for them as well and yeah i've got um, a sort of theory as well that artificial turf in norway has contributed to this golden era of talent as well because you think previously in norway obviously Any time from December until sort of March is a write off because of snow, because of ice, and all the grass pitches would be turgid. You can't train on them. And I think the introduction of artificial turf has allowed these players to train all year round now, so they can constantly be developing their game. And it's also led to a more technical player being developed in Norway than was previously. always obviously known previously, you know, you've got your big centre-backs, your big strikers, your Torre Andre flows, your John Carews, sort of players like this. But it was very rare for them to produce someone like Odegaard who was so technically gifted. And I do think that growing up on these artificial pitches where your touch has got to be perfect otherwise you'll lose the ball. That's contributed heavily to how these guys develop.
0: Yeah, that's something I hadn't really considered actually because... Yeah, you associate, you know, Norway with, with those things you just mentioned. You know, the Torandri flows, the more physical, tall um, strikers and centre backs, and those who can play both. But yeah, you don't associate them uh, that Norway as a country will produce, you know, Martin Odegaard. And and I suppose when you're losing four months a year to 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 the weather and not being able to play outdoors, you know, that's gonna that's gonna hinder your your collective development. And and you know, of course, being able to play all year round and and on on pristine, you know, bowling green pitches, obviously, which which is the artificial turf, that's always going to help. And yeah, that's something, that's quite quite an interesting point. I hadn't considered it at all. Um, I suppose just staying with Norway as a whole and, and the national team, um, I was doing doing a little bit of research for this and, and, and I noticed some parallels between Norway and Belgium. And, and obviously prior to the 2014 World Cup, um, Belgium hadn't really threatened on the international stage um, since the 1980s and, and the days of Enzo Sifo, uh, but then all of a sudden, you know, a quarterfinals appearance at the 2014 World Cup uh, and then a quarterfinals appearance at the 2016 Euros followed and then obviously the the third place at, at the 2018 World Cup, um, that can largely be attributed to sort of the, the golden generation of, of Belgian players, you know, Vertonghen, Alderweireld, Courtois, Lukaku, Mertens, De Bruyne, um, you know, the list goes on all coming of age in that same period and then I had a look at Norway and, and you know you see there are sort of parallels there. Norway haven't qualified for a major tournament since Euro 2000. Um, Do you, do you perhaps see the maybe some parallels there between sort of the current squad potential in the next year or so?
1: Yeah yeah I definitely agree. Um I think Belgium was sort of blessed obviously with all that talent at once and that is sort of the peak golden era of all golden eras in a way because for a country as small as Belgium to produce all those players at a similar time was well, pretty unbelievable. And I think if Norway can get anywhere near that, they'll be pretty happy. Um, and I think that, yeah, whilst this is sort of like hopefully going to be the golden era of Norwegian football, it, I don't think there will be quite as much talent produced as in Belgium. Um, but like obviously you've got your, your Odegaards, your Haalands, your Burgers, um, but at the back in defence, it's possibly lacking a little bit more. Um sort of goalkeepers coming through. There's not a great deal. There's a couple of lads in the elite series who are doing well. But it's hard to tell their exact level at the moment. In terms of defenders as well, there's obviously you've got Christopher Ayer who have mentioned. Uh, Leo Ostergaard who will probably mention later in the podcast who are very good. But aside from that, it's... It's drying up a little bit at the back, um, and I do worry that Norway could become a very top-heavy team with lots of attacking talent, lots of very technically gifted attacking midfielders or wingers or strikers, but they might miss out on developing those, you know, the center, like we mentioned before, the sort of centre-backs of old in Norway, you know, the big guys at the back who are going to, you know, going to keep the clean sheets or, or full-backs, there's not a great deal of sort of modern full-backs in Norway at the moment. So, yeah, I do, I do see the parallels and I do definitely think that Norway are going through their golden era at the moment, but it's, it's one to monitor and it's one to sort of see in the next couple of years who else is going to break through and who else is going to sort of announce themselves on the scene because I think there will be more in the mould of Haaland and Odegaard, but yeah, it'd be nice to see a few more defenders coming through.
0: Okay, so moving away from the more high-profile Norwegian players in and around Europe, um, I've got some questions and queries about the individuals still at Norwegian clubs um, or those who've recently departed for new clubs, uh, but crucially outside of Europe's top five leagues, You know, the more obscure players that perhaps people haven't heard of as much. Um, but before I begin to ask Ben a thousand questions, uh, I'd just like to draw attention to some fantastic analysis that I was reading over uh, over the weekend. Uh, by Chris Somersell on a handful of those lesser known Norwegian players um, you can find that on his Twitter, which is at chris Somercell uh, spelled as as you'd expect um it's it really his top analytical stuff and and I thoroughly recommend it for anyone who who likes to to, to find new more obscure players that they haven't they haven't come across before but Ben coming back to you who are who are the young Norwegian players in the elite Syrian who you feel deserve a mention first and foremost. <sighs>
1: Yeah, there's quite a few, actually, um, who I'm quite excited about in the Elite Serum. Um, there's a sort of constant conveyor belt at the moment of players coming through. Um, Starbeck, for example, are a team who just constantly produce top young talent. Um, obviously, Emil Bahinen is currently playing there, son um, of Lars Bahinen. Hugo Vetlesen, who debuted about three years ago now, age 17. And he's been constantly sort of threatening to break on to a higher level but not quite got there yet so but he's one who's definitely got the skills set to play at a much higher level um but aside from starbeck who are sort of notorious for producing brilliant young talent um at valarengo as a lad 16 year old i think might be 17 now odin tiago holm who's got a very interesting name for a norwegian but he's been sort of sounded out since he was 13 years old when a video went up on youtube of him doing some skills and stuff He's been sounded out to be one of the next big talents, and I think this year we'll see him become a first team regular for Valerenga eventually. He's definitely one to follow, and aside from that, at Salzburg, there's a striker called Jürgen Strand Larsen, who, similar to Vetlesen, debuted a couple of years ago. He's also been on loan at the AC Milan Primavera squad, um, and he's one that Salzburg have huge hopes for. Um, they really think he's going to become sort of near Haaland levels, maybe not Haaland, but you know, a very, very good striker in the future. He's still still a teenager at the moment. He's yet to really have a breakout season, but I think if he does well this year, then he's someone who could move to a bigger club very quickly and progress very quickly there as well.
0: That's an interesting one. Um, that's something I hadn't really thought about. Uh, I did come across him, but there aren't too many uh, Norwegians with the name Tiago. And obviously, Jürgen Strand-Larsen, I wasn't aware that he'd he gone to um, to AC Milan's Primavera side on loan. But that's another interesting one because um, you think of the, the scouting that Primavera sides have done in Scandinavia and brought to, to Italy over the past few years. And Dejan Kulicevski is the big one who stands out there, um, you know, moving from from uh, Brahma Pekjana uh, in Sweden to, to Atalanta's Primavera side. So, yeah, Jürgen Strand-Larsen is definitely one that, that I'll be keeping tabs on um, for sure. Uh, but just going back to to who you mentioned first, um, the one for me that sticks out, uh, who I've seen the most of, uh, is Emil Bohinen. Um, so, I mean, in, in terms of who he is and what he's like as a player, um, for most people listening to this who probably won't have heard of him, um, would you be able to tell us a little bit more about him?
1: Yeah. So I guess first of all, like it's it's interesting in Norway that a lot of these young players come from footballing families. So obviously Erling Haaland's father Alfie Haaland obviously played professionally, famously for Leeds. Um, Behinen Emil Behinen is the son of Lars Behinen, who obviously played for uh, Nottingham Forest, amongst other teams. I know him well from his Forest era. Um, So yeah, Behinens is another one coming from these footballing families. So it's obviously they're brought up with it; it's in their blood and they're used to sort of playing football from a very young age but but yeah he's he's someone who until last year I never really thought would make it at a higher level to be honest he was always in and out of the Starbeck team his performances were pretty inconsistent and I think that was partially because of the way Starbeck played in those days he was sort of forced out wide in a four-four-two, playing on the right hand side of midfield at times and it just didn't suit his game at all he's much more well he's much better in midfield as a playmaker and we saw last year him finally be given a chance in that role, and funnily enough, he didn't actually start last season in Starvek's best 11. It was um, Hugo Vettleson, who I mentioned previously, who was, or who has always had the nod over him previously. Um, but this year, Starvek, they gave him a chance, and he's grasped it with both hands, to be honest. He had clearly his best ever season as a young player. Um provided a number of assists. He's not really a goal scoring midfielder, but he's someone who loves to break up the play, breaks the lines, gets in between. And yeah, he's just a very he's a very interesting player. He's a very sort of traditional central midfielder I'd say. Um but someone who definitely could play at a high level, you know, in the future and he's been linked to clubs such as Leeds, um, various other teams in England as well. So yeah, it'd be interesting to see where he ends up.
0: Uh Rosenborg are the Norwegian club that most most people in, in modern football's era will be familiar with, given that they've played in Europe um quite a lot recently and and particularly Celtic fans who it seems that they they face them every season. Um but one player at Rosenborg, uh, Liverpool fans may be familiar with, and that's Edvard Tagseth, um who was a youth player on Merseyside, um, but has returned to Norway on, on a free transfer. Um, it's probably a little, a little bit easy and a little bit lazy to call it a step back, um, and it could actually prove to be quite a shrewd move if he gets regular matches at you know one of the elite Syrians' best clubs at the age of nineteen or twenty. Um, given that most players from Liverpool's academy aren't going to break into this elite generational team, um, but in terms of what you've seen of Tagseth, what have you? What have your thoughts been? Yeah, he's an interesting one as
1: well because I've not seen a great deal of him because he's only just sort of broken into Rosenborg's first team. But I think, like you said, like a lot of people on paper say it's a setback, but it's not at all. It's a very good move, I think, because he's joined Rosenborg at a time where they're not the strong, not as strong as they have been in previous seasons. So you'll be getting a lot more first team minutes there. He's actually pre in pre season before we've obviously breaks now, started pretty much every match in pre-season for Rosenborg when he's been available, so it looks like he's going to be playing quite a key role this year for the team Um, but yeah, he's he's interesting because he's he's an attacking midfielder but he actually made his debut for Rosenborg last year at left-back the manager needed a left-back essentially for that one game and just thought that Tug's abilities could feature there and he didn't do too badly, he did okay but I think it's pretty clear that his future lies in um, attacking the field, basically. Um, but yeah, he's another one who a couple of years ago was sort of sounded out as one of Norway's elite talents. And a few people, I guess, were a bit disappointed that he maybe stepped back, and in inverted commas, to Rosenborg. But no, I think this, this move in the long term will be very good for him. And I'm pretty sure if he has a couple of couple of years in the first team there, then yeah, the big clubs will come knocking sooner rather than later.
0: You look at the, the progress that the likes of Har Yahalans and, and Ayers and, and Odegaards and, and players like that have have made from playing in, in the Elite Syrian from from a young age and and Tagseth being you know still nineteen, twenty years old, you know, he's still got plenty of time. And as you say, coming into a Rosenberg team who aren't at their best at the moment is probably, you know, beneficial for him individually. Um, just look looking outside of Norway, there are there are a couple of young Norwegian players worth taking note of, um, uh, in particular in the Benelux region. Hakon Evjen is a pretty versatile character uh, who's just moved to, is at Alkmaar uh, in the Netherlands um, from Bodo Glimpt in January. Um, There was a lot of pronunciations in there that I've probably completely butchered, uh, but Ben, you're going to correct me on those. Um, Based on last season in Norway, where I'm led to believe he was quite prolific, um, what do you think could be expected of Evjen in the Eredivisie at at a higher level? (laughs)
1: Yeah, not, not too bad on my pronunciations. I mean, mine aren't still 100%, so I'll let you off. But, no, yeah, Harkon Evian is someone who I know quite well. I mean, I know a few of the coaches at Bolo Glimp, the team he came through, and they've been raving to me about him for so long. And, yeah, it was good to see him finally last year absolutely smash it, essentially, become player of the season. And, yeah, double figures, goals. I think he registered seven or eight assists as well in the league. Yeah. Um, yeah, just a really exceptional young player to be honest and someone who I think deserves to be mentioned in the same breath as the likes of Odegaard and Haaland. I've got no doubt that he'll be in the national team in the near future and yeah, hopefully he'll sort of make his way, make his way into that RZ side pretty quickly because he's definitely an elite talent. Um, he played left wing for much of last season and yeah, was very prolific in front of goal. Um, constantly getting in goal-scoring positions. He's got a belter of a long-range shot on him as well. But I think in the if- going forward I reckon his best position is like as a number 10 or like playing in attacking midfield he's got the skill set to play there um, very technically gifted young player very similar to Odegaard in a lot of ways um, but at the same time he's he can play as a traditional winger as well so yeah he's, he's, he's one who's going to be very excited to follow in the future and he's made the move that a lot of Norwegians do going from Norway to sort of Belgium, Holland which is a nice sort of step-up level for them. And it's a platform for him to play for a couple of years before potentially moving to a bigger side. So, yeah, he, he's definitely got the talent to play at a similar level to where Odegaard is now, for example, at Sociedad. So, yeah, we'll see how he gets on.
0: Yeah, RZ are a club who've got quite a quite a number of young players in, in their ranks at the moment. So you'd, you'd think that Evian would, would assimilate quite well in there at, at that club. Um, but in terms of his versatility, I mean, you mentioned that he's probably best as a number 10, but he can also play on the wings. Um, you know, at RZ, he's obviously got Usama Idrissi, who's only just turned 24, and and Calvin Stengs um, for competition there. So that's that's quite stiff competition and um, for game time. But assuming that the likes of Idrissi and Stengs might move on, given how well they've done this season, you know Evian could be a regular for AZ in that role next year, or he could, you know, as you say, play in that number ten role where he again would encounter stiff competition. Um, Christian Thorstvet, uh is another player I've taken a close interest in over the past few months, mainly because he was he was another Norwegian at Genk, uh, sort of a, a revolving doors moment at the Belgian club there, with Sanderberg uh, going one way, going out. And, and Thor Svek coming in. Um, you know, he signed in January from Viking for around one and a half million euros, which I suppose for a Norwegian club is quite a quite a significant fee to receive for one player. But as as many people might assume, he he's just the Sander replacement. Yeah, he's not. He's he's much more of a goal scoring midfielder, isn't he?
1: Yeah, definitely. He's um he's a very interesting player actually because he sort of started his career at centre back before progressing up the field, um, sort of opposite of Iye in a way. But um yeah, he's definitely more of a goal scoring midfielder. He's someone who loves to get in the box. Um he's got a great long range shot on him as well, so he's very dangerous outside the box too. Um he actually plays in attack for the Norway under twenty one side, um quite often and. He said to me, uh, we spoke to him on a podcast previously, where he said to me that he feels comfortable in attack and he feels comfortable in midfield as well. So, yeah, again, like as soon as Ayo, he's got quite a unique skill set as a midfielder. Um, so definitely not in the defensive role. Um, I was looking forward to sort of midfielder Genkov, Sander Berger, Christian Torspet, and Mats Molladali, who's there as well. Um, because that would be a perfectly balanced midfield, in my view, having Berger as the defensive midfielder source as a sort of box-to-box box. and then Mola Dali as a sort of free-roll in attacking midfield would have been something to watch for a Norwegian football fan. But, yeah, he's um, he's a very interesting player. Again, a little bit of a late developer compared to others. Um, he was actually in the Starbeck Academy um, who have produced so many good young talents, as I mentioned before, but didn't get his chance there because he was just a little bit behind for the likes of Pain and Bettleson. So, moved to Viking in the Obos again and one player of the year for them there, young player of the year and obviously last year in the Elite series, absolutely smash it again and yeah, double figures, goal return. So yeah, he's someone who will definitely be in and around the Gink team, I think, going forward and hopefully he can continue his goals going forward because I think that's such a big part of his game. So yeah, if he can take that to a higher level then there's no no limit to where he can progress really.
0: Uh, now I, I earmarked the the this next one if we if we had time to cover it, but I think it it would be doing a disservice to him and and to sort of the the story around him and his and what his future career might hold if we didn't mention it. Um, that's Leo Ostergaard at Saint Pauli, uh, who's on loan from Brighton and Hove Albion in the Premier League, um, who you did mention earlier al- alongside the likes of Christopher Ayer as as sort of a, a, an impressive centre back um Ostegaard is is at St Pauli in the this Bundesliga uh, at the moment he's on loan there um but he's he's owned by obviously his parent club Brighton who have quite a number of centre backs on their on their books at the moment you know you just off the top of your head you think Lewis Dunk, Shane Duffy, Adam Webster um you know all, all those all those players um are are ahead of him in in the pecking order and that's even before you get to the likes of Ben White who's who's out on loan at Leeds Ostergaard himself there's going to there's going to be like hot competition in the close season for who will remain at the club and who'll go out on loan again or who'll be sold um just just to, to begin with what sort of center back is Ostergaard?
1: yeah he's a he's quite an old school center back um in most of his sort of attributes he's very good in the air he's very strong but he's also got the ability to play out of the back as well um he's added back to his game um yeah when he was playing for molder and viking and he was he was always physically very well developed considering his age um, he was sort of 16, 17 when he made his debut and yeah that's really contributed to his game so he's definitely more of like a, a classical centre-back than Ayer but he's also got those sort of strings to his bow as well in terms of progressing the play out and you know his passing ability is also very good um, but yeah it's, it's interesting with Brighton because obviously they've they scout Scandinavia very heavily and I think ostigard was signed pretty much with a view to resell him after a few loans and it seems to be going a lot to plan at the moment because he's absolutely bossing it at St Pauli. he's become a regular in their team um, and if you look at the St Pauli's squad there's a lot of good centre-backs there as well, um, he's, com- he's competing with very experienced guys and-, and already made his mark in the team so he's a player I rate really highly, um, he's a very big leader on the field as well he was uh, before he moved away from Mulder he was sort of earmarked to be their captain for a season as a teenager which would have been huge at such a massive club like Mulder so yeah he's um he's a very interesting player and someone who I rate really highly I think personally he's as good if not going to be better than Aya to be honest um I think Aya's obviously got more experience at this age but I think, obviously, i give him a few more years, and he'll he'll be playing at a similar or maybe even
0: higher level. I reckon. Well, I mean, that's that's a glowing endorsement, really, because I, I feel like a lot. Well, Christopher Ayers fans will will they might disagree with you on that one, but I think you know you're the authority on on Norwegian football and, and Norway's young players. So I, I'm not going to argue there. Um, well, I mean, when when you really get into the elite Syrian and the Norwegian national team, you can you, you can actually get talking for quite a while. Ben, I'm sure you could go on for much longer, and and I could definitely ask a great deal more. But I think we should cut it there for so so this episode isn't too long. Thanks very much for agreeing to speak with me on on today's episode. Um, it's been very much appreciated having your insight and your knowledge and all those little anecdotes of the stories that you've of the players that you've spoke to on the pod, you know, those who you've watched when they were 16, 17, 18 in, in the elite series and who have gone on to bigger and better things. Um, Do you have any, anything that you'd like to to push to anyone who's listening at the moment and and any parting comments really?
1: Yeah, just thanks for having me on really. Um, Pleasure to come on. Love speaking about Norwegian football. So could probably go on for days, but obviously don't want to bore your listeners with a four hour podcast. So probably best to sort of end it before I go off on one, but, um, but no, yeah, just, Obviously, we run a podcast, uh, Reverse Nistalu, on Twitter. Um, I won't spell it out, but you <laughs> hopefully find it off my Twitter account if you if you want to look for it. Um, yeah, we've chatted to quite a lot of Norwegian players on there. We've had Omar al who's playing for a Norwegian national team, uh, vice-captain, and obviously Christian Torsvet, as I mentioned previously. So, yeah, if you check us out on there, I mean, we talk about young players in the elite series a lot, and I'm always trying to promote the league in general because i think it's such a fun league to follow and i think there's so much talent there so yeah hopefully a few more people will sort of
0: start paying attention to norwegian football now with this sort of golden era coming in yeah we'll be uh, we'll be plugging the, uh, the reverse Nisalu uh, at on uh, the scouted football podcast uh, tweet for this episode to to make sure that you know anyone who does want to listen more can do so Uh, The Scout Football podcast tour of nowhere is over for today, but keep an eye and an ear out for more episodes to come in the future. Uh, Stay safe, stay at home, uh, speak soon. Uh, Bye-bye.